before I pray, I just want to share a few words um, to address uh, from a biblical perspective some of the things that have been going on over the past few weeks and actually for the past few centuries. When uh, this pandemic started, you know that the pandemic has a way of uh, really peeling back the layers of our heart and exposing us for what's inside. That happens as individuals and it also happens as a church and happens at a national level as well and at the level of just humanity. And one of the things that has reared its ugly head once again is um, the original sin of our nation of racism. When COVID-19 broke out, there were uh, countless incidences of racist acts against Asian Americans that were well documented both in the news as well as in different online uh, petitions and forums. And the outrage that came from people like me, people like maybe like you as Asian Americans was strong and it was unified and there was a solidarity in calling out the racism against people like us. And one of the one of the things that brought us comfort and support in time like that was to hear the voices of those who are different from us, non-Asian Americans, throwing their support against the racist acts that were uh, perpetuated against uh, Asian Americans. And those voices were heard loud and clear. But at the same time, uh, the one thing that might have spoken even louder uh, was the silence of those who did not stand and speak up for us. And I think as we are well aware, um, this past week, racism in a different form raised itself again uh, as we heard a similar story that we've heard for many, many, many centuries now. An African-American man uh, killed the context, whatever it is that you can say, let's wait for the facts, all of that stuff. But the story remains the same, that the dehumanization and the demonization of African-Americans in our country and throughout our world is something that has reached far greater than pandemic levels. And as the outrage is spoken up from African-Americans and their voices rising in unison, it's showing in the form of protests right outside of, even as we speak, 10 minutes from here, about five miles from here, at the home of the Minnesota police, who killed George Floyd. Uh, there are protests going on right now, have been going on over this past weekend. And as riots, uh, whatever you call it, are happening throughout America, remember the words of Martin Luther King Jr. However you feel about what's going on, the reality, according to one Martin Luther King Jr., who was one of the oppressed, said riots are the language of the unheard. And if there is no understanding and no reason for us, uh, no way for us to reason with why people are rioting at a time like this, then I think it betrays a sense of silence and complicity with what has been happening in our nation. And as people raise their voices right now, the voices are loud and clear, whether it be in the form of petitions online, whether it be in the form of social media posts that are being shared, whether it be in the form of, of protesting in riots. But equally loud has been throughout the generations the silence of those who did not feel like this impacted their lives. A lot of, for a lot of the time, uh, we as Asian Americans have sat on the sidelines and considered ourselves to be bystanders or an audience to something that did not impact us. But if we speak out against racism in one form, against one people, then 
we need, we need to speak out against racism in all of its forms against anybody. That's not a political statement. That's not just a racist statement. Um, that's a biblical statement because even if you don't think that there's racism going on behind these things, then what we have to reckon with is the fact that countless people who are made in the image of God are being discarded and their worth and dignity and value as human beings is not being upheld by those who are taking their lives as well as by those who are not speaking out against the atrocities committed against them. And as we stand here, I think this is a tipping point for us as we realize, one, that racism has affected us in certain ways, but two, we have stood in positions of privilege and power that have allowed us to walk away from situations where other people cannot walk away. If that's where we are, then I think we need to stand and we need to look into the mirror and to see within our own hearts and to see what God might be saying to us. I know that um, this is not something that's easy for some of us to do and we don't know where to begin, but can I suggest that we begin with praying and asking God to search our hearts and to expose in us any latent racism and to also show us a way forward. Maybe that's to begin having conversations with people who are oppressed, with African Americans, to hear their story. Because through conversation, it breeds a compassion, and only through compassion will it lead to action. We've got to start somewhere. We've got to take small steps in order that in our lifetime, we would be able to say, I did something to fight against this. I did not sit back and watch it happen while the lives of countless people uh, were dehumanized, devalued, and taken from them. On, in, in broad daylight, on camera, for the world to see. I know we may not know the way forward, but let's do something. Let's say something. A, a, fee, a post on your, on your Instagram that says, uh, this doesn't sit right with me. I don't like this. I'm not going to stand for this. Let's do something. Let's pray, uh, but let's not be silent. Let's stand and let's shift the meter in our lifetime and let's do what we can. Would you pray with me towards that end? Our Father in heaven, your word tells us clearly that you have shown us what is good and what you require of us. It's to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Father, would you show us what that means, not only when the oppressed is somebody near and dear to our hearts, but when the oppressed is someone that we don't know but is near and dear to the hearts of somebody else, may we remember how much you love those made in your image. May we not sit back. May we realize that a large part of our discipleship is to redeem the brokenness in people and the broken structures that are existent in our world. Pray that you would help us to see that Jesus, you spoke constantly about loving the people outside of your own race and that the heartbeat of God throughout the Old Testament is for the nations. Even when Israel was the people of God from the very beginning, your word constantly spoke of a mission to the ends of the earth to see people brought into the family of God. Father, help us to feel that heartbeat loud and clear. And as we pray for our friends who are serving in different countries, Lord, we show that we long to see 
people who are different from us come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. People who live in China, people who live in North Korea, people who live in Jordan, people who live in, in Turkey, people who live in Spain, people who live in, uh, in Cameroon, people who live in Thailand, in Myanmar, in Kyrgyzstan, um, in Vietnam, in Taiwan, in nations where our friends are serving you. Places like Ecuador, in Nicaragua, countless nations throughout the world, people on college campuses, not all of whom look like us, in our prayers, in our support, even in our going, we're saying, Lord, we want to see people who don't know you come to know you regardless of what they look like or what country they're from. Father, help us not to betray a hypocrisy in praying so faithfully and fervently and giving while ignoring the brokenness in those who are different from us here at home. Father, challenge us and convict us and help us not to outsource this to anyone else, but help us to embrace the call of God in our hearts, in our lives, and teach us creative, compassionate ways to be involved in the fight, to see the worth of all human beings upheld for the glory of God and for the releasing of the captives and the setting free of a nation bound in racism. Help us, Lord. And as we hear your word now, pray that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to your church. Pray that you would be with me, my gracious master and my God. Would you assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad, the honors of your name. We thank you so much. We love you. We need you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, thank you again for joining us for our worship service. Um, this is... Uh, what we think is going to be our last time in this online-only worship format beginning next week, we're going to open the doors as we regather. Those who feel uh, able and ready to do that, uh, we will continue to live stream our worship service as well. Um, but this is our last one in this format, and so it's going to be uh, a sad uh, sad thing for this to no longer be our everyday, but at the same time, um, as we shift gears into a new kind of normalcy, uh, our hope is that we'll continue to see God show up in ways that uh, we did not imagine before. Amen? Amen, yeah. Uh, today, I want to begin with a quiz. Uh, this is the last one, so I want to begin with a quiz and uh, have a giveaway for you. Okay, so I want to start with a four-question, very simple quiz. Um, every mission, I'm sorry, every organization has a mission statement, a reason for being, a purpose to their existence. So I'm going to read the mission statements of four companies that are relatively well-known, and in your YouTube or Facebook chat box, I'm going to invite you to just type in what you think is the answer. No cheating. The winner, okay, whoever gets the most right out of four is going to, the next time you come back with us, you will get free hand sanitizer. Okay, this is amazing. So here it is. I'm going to read again the mission statements to four well-known companies, and you can write in there. I'll give you about 10 seconds. You can type in what you think this company is, right? Number one, here we go. Our mission is to create a world where everyone has access to the food they love and more time to enjoy it together. What could that company be? Let's take a few seconds to write that down. All right, here we go. Number two, to make, distribute, and sell the finest quality 
all-natural ice cream, and related products in a wide variety of innovative flavors made from Vermont dairy products. What company is that? Number three, here we go. We have absolute clarity as to what we do. We sell soda. <laughs> one thing and one thing only, that's what they said. And here's the fourth one, okay. This might be a little bit difficult, especially for our middle schoolers. A lot of big words here. Our mission is to develop a people-centric cloud service that transforms the real-time collaboration experience and improves the quality and effectiveness of communications forever. Who is that? Oh, my goodness. I had so many more. This is so exciting for me uh, to see how we did. Okay, here we go. Here are the answers. Uh, missions create a world where everyone has access to the food they want, more time to enjoy it together. If you said Instacart, you got one question right. Well done. To make, distribute, sell the finest quality ice cream, Vermont dairy products, the right answer is Ben and Jerry's. Yes. Number three, absolute clarity in what we do. We sell soda. If you said Coke, you are wrong. It is Pepsi, okay, the PepsiCo. And then number four, our mission is to develop a people-centric, all those big words. This is the ubiquitous quarantine product called Zoom. All right. If you got all four of those right, uh, well done. Hey, we'll do this just because we love Jesus. Uh, for any one of you, whoever, whoever you are, uh, if you come to worship with us in person next week, we'll give you some free hand sanitizer. Anyways, um, we are talking about the mission of the church. We've been talking about for the last two weeks. And what the CEO Jesus has made clear in speaking about the church, he said his mission, our mission, is absolutely simple and is absolutely clear. It is to make disciples of all nations. We saw that. We saw that great commission last week. And then two weeks ago, we saw the people that he was calling to fulfill this great commission. And we saw that filtered down through the past 2,000 years, this involves people like you and people like me. Now, the first thing that we realized was, man, this is actually a pretty impossible task. It's like telling someone and giving them um, a, bunch, a pair of scissors and saying, hey, you got to go and cut the grass all over the Disney World property with just a pair of scissors. That's a crazy mission. It's an impossible dream, a mission impossible, if you will, something like uh, just otherworldly in its scope. And as we think about that, the question that uh, comes to mind then is how are we supposed to do this? How are they supposed to do that? Well, I am so glad you asked because today I'm going to tell you not how I think but what Jesus says because in this Great Commission passage, he gives us some really important insights as to how this is to happen. So let's look at Matthew 28. We're going to read verses 16 through 20 for one last time in this series and in this context. And we're going to see 
that Jesus brackets the Great Commission with two supernatural sources of power that will enable us to be able to do the unthinkable and to achieve the impossible. This is Matthew 28. We're going to read verses 16 through 20. Uh, God's word for God's people. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is God's word. So how would the people of God be able to accomplish this mission that from a group of 11 disciples plus uh, maybe a couple hundred other people, a few hundred other people, how would they wage battle against not only the Roman Empire but the ends of the earth, so that within 30-some years, um, churches were planted on and throughout the known area. Like, what happened, and how did that happen? More importantly, for us, how do we accomplish this mission? Like, what do we have as we look at the discrepancy between uh, the commission that was given and the people into whose hands it falls? A couple things that we see. A couple things. One, um, Take comfort, right? Find comfort in that gap between the greatness of the commission and the smallness of the commission, okay? Understand there is a noticeable gap, a huge gap, a massive gap between the greatness of the commission and the puniness of the people. But that shouldn't deter you. In fact, that should give us comfort. I was talking with someone this week as they process through what it means for me to live out the Great Commission. They said, you know, I've led people to Christ. I have done these different things in the past where I discipled people uh, who were, um, that God brought into my life. But now with just how busy life gets and how hectic life becomes, it's really difficult for me to take someone all the way around the bases until they are giving their faith away and making disciples of other people. It's really hard for me as one person to do this, even with one person. Begs the question then, how would a few people then do this to the ends of the earth with the entire world? I think it's something of human nature that when we think about succession plans, you always think about, okay, when, when there's a transition from Steve Jobs to Tim Cook, from uh, President Obama to President Trump, the question we always ask is, are they qualified in order to take the mantle from their predecessor? Like, what qualifies them to do it? And when you think about the disciples, it's almost comical, a succession plan. When you think about it, Jesus' mission was, hey, you guys, I'm going to send you to the corners of the earth all around, even though you've never Okay? You've never had an education. You have no money. You've got no contacts. You've got nothing. You, in fact, you've never been outside of Palestine. You've never traveled more than 50 miles outside of your house. 
And yet I'm telling you to go to the ends of the earth and to make, not, not just to go, but to make disciples along the way as you're going until the world has known. That is an impossible task if you've, if you've ever, see, the disciples would have, not, their resumes would not have, they wouldn't even gotten read by a headhunter trying to figure out who Jesus is going to use in order to turn the ministry over to. In fact, in order to highlight this, okay, you may not believe this, but I got an actual email, okay, an actual email from a headhunting company that was around during Jesus' time when Jesus was making his recommendation about his disciples. And this is what the email says. This is crazy. It says, to Jesus Christ at gmail.com, from Jordan at managementconsultants.com. So this is what it says. Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 11 men you have picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have taken our battery of tests. We've not only run the results of these tests through our computer, but also conducted personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. It is the opinion of our staff that all of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not understand the team concept. Uh, we would recommend that you continue to search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would undermine morale. Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings and both registered high on the bipolar scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness. He meets people well has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. The only person we would have recommended was Judas Iscariot, but he has not returned our phone calls. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely yours, Jordan Management Consultants. How great that chasm that lie between the mission at hand and the people that Jesus had chosen for that mission. What do you do with that? Have you ever felt like, man, God, you're calling me to something that is way beyond my level of understanding, my pay grade, my ministerial experience? Have you ever felt like you're completely unqualified to do the work that God had called you to do? What do you do with that? Here's what Jesus says. He says, find comfort in that gap. Because he could have chosen anybody to do this. Listen, if, if Jesus wanted the richest people, he would have gone to the richest people. If he wanted the smartest people, he'd have gone to Athens and chosen 11 of the smartest philosophers in order to do this. If he wanted the most seasoned, well-respected people, he would have gone and found them. If he wanted the religious elite, he would have chosen some of the high priests and the priests from Jerusalem to do that. But he chose these fishermen who had nothing. And he said, these are the people of perfect character for the mission to go forth. Why? Well, Jesus was saying, hey, do you remember, disciples, those times when you felt like the challenge before you was impossible, and yet 
you came through, not only you survived, but you saw heaven fall into earth. You saw Satan vanquished at the mention of the name of Jesus, where you preached and, and people came to know me and, and, and you cast out demons and you did all of these things in the name of Christ. Do you remember when there were 5,000 people and you didn't know what to do and, 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 I, and my father showed up in those places? Jesus is saying, here's what I'm saying. You've seen these things. I'm going to do it again, because, not in spite of that gap, but because of that gap. When you realize that you have nothing to offer to God, that's the space in which I can work so that when I show up and I work, people look at me instead of looking at you. When you look at succession plans and you say, okay, you know what, Tim Cook, he can do it just fine, then you praise the man. But when you see that there's a gap between the, between the job and the job applicant, that's when you realize, man, it must not be about him. There's got to be something else at work in this person. But Jesus is saying, listen, if I've chosen you to do a work, and there's a gap between who you are and what you think you're called to do, don't let that disqualify you. Let that comfort you because that's the room for my grace, my power, my spirit to show up in order that I would get maximum glory through your life. Take comfort in that. Do you feel like there's something like that in your life God's calling you to? You just feel this burden within your heart. You feel this sense where God is calling you to Nineveh or God is calling you to step forward in something. Uh, find comfort in that gap because that gap leaves room for God to show up. Why? Because he wasn't just sending them on their own. He would send them armed, not only with a mission, with a purpose, but with something so much greater than they knew. What was it? The second thing that we see, that he calls, how are we going to do this? The second thing that we see, Jesus says, remember the greatness of the great commissioner. Okay. He says, remember the greatness of the one who is commissioning you to this task. Bracketing the mission of God are two massive promises to massive statements of fact. The first is about the authority of Jesus, and second is about the promise of Jesus. But here's what Jesus is saying, okay? Look at what he says, verse 18. He says, Jesus, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. It would change everything if Jesus just said, hey, guys, come to the mountain. Come to the mountain. Now go and make disciples of all nations. Be completely different if that's where it began. But Jesus prefaces all this by saying, all authority in heaven and earth and on earth has been given to me. Now, as a result of that, go. This is a game changer. Can anyone on earth claim all authority over anything? Even the greatest of men who claims all authority in his home will be overridden by his wife. Even the dictators of nations, even our president who doesn't have all authority, even on his own, in his own country, there's checks and there's balances. Even the dictators of China, of North Korea, and the 50 other dictatorships in the world, none of them can claim absolute authority even over their own country. 
past, present, or future, whether it be Hitler, Stalin, whomever it might be, none of them can claim that, let alone over one nation. Jesus doesn't just say all authority in Palestine has been given to me, nor does he say all authority in the Middle East has been given to me. He says all authority in heaven and on earth, in every, in fact, this is what Abraham Kuyper says, there is not a square inch over in all creation over which Jesus Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It's all his. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Now, is that good news? As we've seen this week, having utmost authority doesn't always mean good for the people whom that authority is called to serve. Authority doesn't do a world of good. In fact, it's bad news when people use their authority to choke the life out of another person and when others in authority stand by and do nothing about it. Not all authority is good authority. It depends what you do with that authority. What would Jesus do to the oppressors, to Rome, to the religious establishment, to the ends of the earth? Here's what Jesus says. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, he doesn't say step on them, doesn't say kill them. He says love them, serve them, save them, bring them into my family. Those who are enemies of God, bring them so that they might become children of the king. That's what Jesus says you do with your authority. All authority in heaven on earth. It's kind, of a strange, it's kind of a strange thing to read because he says, it has been given to me. When you look at Jesus' life, there was authority. When he taught, they said, wow, who is this man? Where did he come from? Where did he study? Because he teaches unlike anyone else. He teaches with authority. See this throughout the gospel accounts, through Mark especially. You see Jesus in, in Mark chapter 4 and 5. You see this clearly, his authority over disease, over darkness, over death. You see it over the storm, over the sicknesses, over everything, over Satan eventually. You see the authority of Jesus. Demons don't argue with Jesus. They just say, okay, Jesus, whatever you say, we're out of here. See ya. They don't argue with him. They don't say, oh, but, but, but we deserve to. They don't say anything like that. At the mention of the name King of Majesty, they run and they flee. That's Jesus. Jesus, the one who commands infinite angels who are at his beck and call. Angels who are fearful. If, if, when anyone saw them in Scripture, they feared the worst. But these angels exist to serve the purposes of Jesus. When Peter cuts off the ear of Malchus on the night Jesus was betrayed and arrested, Jesus said, don't you know, I could command legions of angels. I can do whatever I want, all authority in heaven and on earth. But here Jesus says something different. The one who had authority now says it has been given to me. What does he mean? Something qualitatively different has happened after the resurrection. And now it all begins to make sense. Begins to make sense why they recognize Jesus as the same Jesus. Because they touched him, they ate with him, they put his, their finger through his, the holes in his body. They, this is the same Jesus. At the same time, he was unrecognizable to so many people until a certain point. 
because this is not just same old Jesus. By virtue of disarming the powers of darkness at the cross and overcoming and triumphing over them at the cross and in his resurrection, Jesus can now say every drop of authority from the Father has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is Jesus fierce, a 2.0 Jesus, if you will, not the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's still that, but he is the lion that roars with authority. Not the suffering servant, but he's the sovereign king. All authority in heaven and earth, he says, has been given to me, therefore go. If he's the one armed with all authority and he says go, then if a sovereign tells me to go, then I go wherever he wants me to go. But at the same time, when a sovereign says to me, who has all power and all authority, and he says, I'm choosing you, I'm sending you, I want you to do it. You can do this because I'm with you, I'm backing you, my authority is on you, you bear my name, go. Then it means we are unstoppable for the kingdom of God. There's nothing, if God calls you to it, there's nothing that you cannot do. And you are invincible until you have fulfilled the purpose of God in your life. Nothing will stop the mission of God. And as long as Jesus wants you here, nothing will stop you. Do you hear the whisper of the one in whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been vested speaking into your ear as you go? One of my family's favorite movies, The Greatest Showman, it's about a group of misfits who join a circus, The Greatest Show on Earth, led by P.T. Barnum. And one of these these people in the circus is a trapeze artist played by an actress named Zendaya. I don't think she, well, she's an actress now. She used to be a singer. So that may have been the first movie she was in, I'm not altogether sure, but she was definitely not a trapeze artist. And so she trained how to do the trapeze, to jump from one hand to the other, to jump from these things, to swing and sway. And many times she messed up. Many times she failed, many times she fell, and so she thought maybe I should get a stunt double to do this for me. Well, one day, uh, Hugh Jackman, who is the greatest showman, the main character, uh, the one who inspires the awe of many people throughout Hollywood, was watching her practice. And she was so nervous, but she did pretty well. And she came down, and, and after she got off the trapeze, he called her over and said, Zendaya, you are a bad woman, <laughs> that's what he said. And she said, as she say, I think she said this on a talk show, She said, what? Hugh Jackman said, I'm a bad woman. Said, as soon as he said that, I knew that I could do anything. I said, forget the stunt double. I can do anything you ask me to do because Hugh Jackman, in whom all authority in Hollywood has been given, has spoken that I can do it. There's a voice that speaks into your ear that calls you by name. And he says, as I send you forth, I'm not sending you out with nothing. The power that lies in you is infinitely greater than the challenge that lies before you because all authority has been given to me and I'm sending you forth. Can I tell you a little secret? It's a secret that not many people know. Uh, Josiah knows. Maybe Olivia knows. Uh, 
But on top of every sermon manuscript that I write, there are a few key phrases that are attached to the header of every single one. Talks about things that will motivate my heart, check my heart, do I love my people? Am I willing to die for them? All of these things, prayers that I have. There's one thing that it says. One line, the very last thing it says, it says, I'm the man. I'm going to kick butt. That's what I say. I read that to myself. I say, you know what, I'm the man. I'm going to kick butt. Not because, I, not because I know my stuff. Not because there's this great illustration. Not because of any other reason, but the fact that in this moment today, okay, check this, May 31st, 2020, to the congregation, the beloved people of Harvest, God could have chosen anybody to preach this word to you. But he didn't choose anybody. He chose me to do it. I'm the man that he's chosen, and because his authority is on me to preach the word of God today, I'm going to kick butt. At least that's what I tell myself, because all authority, heaven and earth, have been given to Jesus. And he's saying, go. And so I go. I don't care what you think about me. <laughs> I don't care if you think he's boring or his face is shining or his shirt. Is. I don't care about those things. I'm preaching under the authority of the word of God and the call of God in my life. I'm the man, and I'm going to kick butt. And the same thing is true of you. Whatever God has called you to do, hear the voice of the one in whom is vested all authority in heaven and on earth and hear him say, go because I'm with you. And that's the last thing that we're going to see. The last thing we see is that when you feel like you're alone, remember that he's promised that he will never leave you. So what he says at the end of it all, at the end of the Great Commission, he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, the desire of Jesus, and you see this clearly, okay? Here's Matthew. At the beginning of Matthew, okay, Matthew traces Jesus' genealogy back to the kings to show that Jesus is the true Messiah in the line of David. And then he reinforces that by showing kings from the Orient. We call them wise men coming to bow down and worship. So kings from every nation worshiping the baby. And what will his name be? Emmanuel, God with us. At the beginning of Matthew, Matthew 1, that's what we see. At the end of Matthew's gospel, we see the same thing. He's saying, I'm the sovereign king over all. I'm sending you out into all of the nations. And as it was in the beginning, here it is at the end. I am with you. Always to the very end of the age. Here's the funny thing, right? Jesus says, I'm with you to the very end of the age. And then a week later, he disappears. Isn't that crazy? Like he goes up to heaven. They're like, what the? Jesus, you said you're going to be with us always. Like not just for another week. And he's gone. But on the day of Pentecost, which in the Christian calendar today is the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God came. It would not only be Jesus here and there with you, but now it's Jesus, the presence, the spirit of Jesus in you, with you, always, wherever you go to the very end of the age. There will be times as you go forth when you feel like, man, I don't know. People have left me. People have abandoned me. 
I feel all alone in this, when you feel like you're alone, remember that Jesus promised that he would never, ever, ever leave you. Until when, Jesus? Until when? Until I leave Orlando? Until I leave Harvest? Until I graduate college? Until I get out of youth ministry? Never. To the very end of the age, until forever meets forever into eternity. He promises that he'll be with us. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that if you don't feel the presence of God intimately with you, it could be that your heart is not aligned with the priority of the mission of God for his church and for your life. Because as you're going uh, bringing the gospel, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded you and them to do. You are making disciples, and as you do that, you will experience the fiery, intimate, undeniable presence of the one who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Has it been a while since you've experienced intimately the powerful promise of his presence. Again, it's not because God has gone anywhere. Right? Where is our hearts? Is it aligned with the mission of God for his world, for his church, for our lives? Bracketing this amazing commission is Jesus' promise of his authority and the promise of his presence. And it says here, surely I'm with you. Literally what it means, the word, and, and you, if you've grown up in church, you might have read different versions that say, lo, I am with you always. What does lo mean? I'm not really sure what it means, but I have, because we don't use this in our regular everyday language, but it means behold, listen, take note, remember, don't forget. Don't forget, because there will be times where it seems like I'm not there. Before I moved here in 2001, I lived in Virginia. I was working uh, half-time at my home church in Virginia. I was working full-time in a property management company. And I moved down here in June of 2001. In December of 2000, I went to a missions convention called Urbana that rolled into the 1st of January of 2001. And when I came back from, from that conference, I just felt this conviction in my heart. God saying, start a Bible study in your workplace. Bible study. So people who don't know Jesus can come to faith and come to see me. And in my office, the people that I worked with, I was the lowest on the totem pole. Uh, and I don't know anybody that knew Jesus. Be a lot of times I'd, I'd shoot out emails, um, and early on I wanted them to know that I was a follower of Christ. So I would send out emails, and I would put a Bible reference, and then very quickly I got in trouble from my higher-ups, and I realized, okay, this is how far I can go, and this is where I need to pull back. But in my heart, the conviction was, and you start something. So my plan was I'm going get, to get people together before work, 30 minutes before, and I'm going to ask them, what are your biggest objections to Christianity? And I would hear them, and then I would go home, and each week I would address one of these with the people. That was my plan. I was really excited, but I was scared, very scared, very scared. I'm the lowest one on the rung. They're all going to make fun of me. Maybe nobody will show up. What if they ask a question? I don't know. They're so worldly. They're so much older than me. All these questions. One day I was doing my devotional from John chapter 3 or 2, and 
there was a passage where John the Baptist is baptizing people. And all these people were coming. And God just began to put into my heart, um, man, all these people are going to come to know me through this group, this meeting that you have. And in particular, God highlighted this one word, this one phrase. It said, there were many people coming, but there was a lot of water so that more people could be baptized. And so God's saying, hey, you know what? One or two, that's fine, but there's a lot of water. A lot of people are going to come to know me. A lot of people did not come to know Jesus because I didn't actually end up moving forward with what I felt God calling me to do. Because in those six months that I began to transition out of Virginia and move down here, I gave all these reasons why I shouldn't do this. Because I've got to say my goodbyes. I've got to get ready. At that time, I was still thinking I was going to go up to Boston instead of coming down here to Orlando. And all of these plans were changing. And I needed to, uh, to, to tie up loose ends and And all these different reasons I gave. But ultimately what it was, was that I forgot these two massive brackets around this commission that I had been given. That all authority in your workplace has been given to me. Therefore, go into that place. You're the man and I'm calling you to kick butt. I will be with you always, even though nobody comes, even though everybody walks out. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And I forgot these promises of God. I became small. People began, became big. The mission became huge. God became small. But had I seen the authority of Jesus clearly, had I let myself remember the promise of God, who knows how this story could end. You see, it's when we understand that the mission before us is great, but it's never as great as the power behind us. That's what moves us forward. That's what causes five men in their 20s, young men, full of hope, future life, to leave everything and to go into the jungles of Ecuador knowing that their lives might be taken, and indeed they were. But to say that he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's what causes people to go into nations like North Korea and say, come what may, there is no place on earth that is unreachable if Jesus is sending me and if his presence is going with me. So it causes the underground church to continue to meet in places like China, even though Chairman Mao in the, uh, began to kick out all of the Westerners during the Boxer Rebellion. When it opened up, they saw that Christianity had exploded in those places. It's what causes people to go to the ends of the earth without fear because they know that the authority and the presence and the power of Jesus is with them. I'm so glad that though I forgot the promises of God, he doesn't stop calling me and he doesn't negate his promise. He doesn't go back on his word, but he constantly gives me and you and us another chance to do it. Because Jesus would also go and be faced with an impossible mission. 
but he did not forget the voice of love that spoke behind him, nor did he forget that his father would be with him until the very end. You see, this is what authority does. It does not bow the knee in order to choke out those who do not submit to its flawed leadership. But this is what true authority does. It bows the knee to wash the feet of those who had betrayed him, who had turned their back on him, who would sell him out. That's what authority does. It lays down its life so that those who are enemies could become friends, could become family. That's what Jesus has done for you. That's what Jesus has done for me. And that's what he calls us to do as we go forth to the ends of the earth. The mission is great, but the power behind us is greater. As we step forth, we will experience the promise of his presence. He asks you today, will you join me in this kingdom building eternity, shaking, world-changing endeavor. Let's join him in this. Let's pray together. Let's pray and ask the Lord God that we would follow him wherever he sends us, wherever he calls us. Pray that he would give us faith to take a step, even if it's into the unknown, that Jesus, I will go out of love for you because of your promise. And if you are here listening and you have not yet put your trust in Jesus and you hear about one with supreme authority who laid down his life for you, though you were enemies of him, he's asking you, would you turn and put your trust in me to be the forgiver and to be the master of your life? You can do that now. Just pray, Jesus, I need you. Let's pray wherever you are spiritually. Let's pray for 30 seconds, one minute, really praying these words into our hearts and asking the Lord that he would make it real and that we would live it out. Let's pray together as we wrap up this part of our worship service. Father in heaven, for those in whom you are stirring as you speak to their hearts through the gospel call, may we hear it clearly in order that we might surrender to you and join you as we trust you for the forgiveness of our failures and sins and as we put our hope in you to lead us as we follow you wholeheartedly because all authority is yours and what you say ought to be the rule of life for us. And for those of us who've put our trust in you already as our Savior, our Forgiver, and our Master, pray that indeed we would renew that commitment to allow you to be our Master, that we would walk with you, that we'd follow you, we'd go where you lead us, and follow where you send us, knowing that your presence will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name.